Hey everyone, I'm Julie Gunlock, your host for the 12th episode of the Bespoke Parenting Hour and the second one for this year, 2021. For any new listeners we have out there, this podcast is focused on how parents can custom tailor their parenting style to fit what's best for their families, themselves, and most importantly, their kids. So since the last show, quite a bit of news has happened. Uh, President Joe Biden is now president. He was sworn into office and former President Trump has been impeached by the House for the second time. Uh, Looks like again for the second time the Senate will not hold an impeachment trial. They're continuing problems with vaccine delivery. There are delays, shortages, doses reaching the use-by date and then having to be thrown away. Even some random guy, I think he was a pharmacist, I don't know where, uh, intentionally threw some away. So he's sitting in jail now. Um, Sadly, uh, as far as this sort of unintentional delays and shortages, um, President Biden has decided to tighten federal control over the vaccines. But that's not going to make things any better. Um, A lot of people don't know kind of the circumstances, but you know, of the vaccine rollout. Um, and I'll try to sort of give a quick explanation here. When the FDA approved the two vaccines that are currently in use, uh, the the Trump administration decided that states should could be the only ones, were the only ones who could buy the vaccine. Okay, so so all these, so, you know, a state, then a governor, a state, a state agency then buys, you know, millions of doses and it goes out to the state. But then the states then decide who gets the doses to actually, you know, inject into the arms of patients. Um, and so what's it, what it's created is, is sort of a, a state control situation where states set up vaccine centers or decide where and who is injecting the vaccine into the arms of patients instead of allowing private medical facilities or or your own private practice or hospitals to then you know to to also purchase the seat think about like the normal vaccine like you take your child to your pediatrician to get the MMR vaccine or you yourself go to your own private uh, doctor or CVS to get the flu vaccine that's not what's happening here instead of allowing multiple uh, private medical facilities and hospitals, instead of allowing them to, or also to buy the vaccine, it's entirely in state control. So what you've got here is a real log jam. And sadly, by making it to, by putting it back into fully federal control, I mean, it was, it was great that the Trump administration said, look, we want the states to figure this out. Uh, but, but what happened is, is that governors and a lot of local politicians, um, you know, mayors, what have you, um, put in a lot of regulations and red tape. What needs to happen is that we need to open up the vaccine buying options to more medical facilities. And we need to encourage governors um, to cut the red tape. I mean, Cuomo has put in so many restrictions on who can who can inject the, the drug. And obviously, the normal safety, um, safety requirements will still be in place. But this is what um, is really mucking it up. And and Biden's uh, solution is not going to make it better. I bring this up only because, because these delays in vaccine uh, delivery, it's not helping the school situation. And this is very important to parents. Many public schools, including the public school in my town, which I am starting to believe will never open again, which I'm not sure that's a bad thing, um, they are still closed. Okay. And again, pri- you know, pr- uh, 
newly, you know, newly sworn in President Biden decides he's going to he's going to save the day. So he says, uh, it's OK, folks, I'm in charge and um, I have pledged to open schools uh, in 100 days, which is hilarious, considering that's when summer break starts. So thanks, Joe. That's really helpful. Um, related to this, teachers unions around the country are saying that they don't even think schools should open in the fall. OK, the fall. Right. Um, and this is after the teachers have been fully vaccinated. Okay. So let's just, I just want to focus on that issue for one more second. Cause I'm a little, I'm a little wound up about this issue. You have teachers and school officials being prioritized for the vaccine. Okay. They are, they are at the tippy top of the list. Okay. They go to the top of top of the line. Okay. These are young. Many of them are young, healthy teachers and they are getting the vaccine ahead of elderly ahead of the elderly and those with diseases that put them at high risk um, or death and or hospital, you know, high risk of death and hospitalizations if they if they contract COVID. So now after getting the vaccine, they're now saying they're not going to go back in the classroom. It is absolutely monstrous. And I want to point everyone out. Uh, I want to point out an article written by my colleague, Amber Schwartz. She wrote about the unfairness of this situation over at the IWF blog. So go to IWF.org and check out this article. Um, and the reason it matters to Amber is because her parents, who are 73 and 80, and in addition, her mother has uh, has asthma, very serious asthma, uh, her parents con- just contracted COVID, okay? And they're fighting it, and they're at home, and, 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 and you know, they're, do- they're doing well. But think about what it means to people like Amber and Amber's siblings to know that her parents were passed up for the vaccine by teachers who now say they won't go back in the classroom. It's just unbelievably outrageous. And I think this is, you know, something that's really angering the public. Um, and, and of course, on top of all of that, we know that the schools are not the problem when it comes to the spread of COVID. We know that schools can open safely. In fact, many have already. And almost all private schools are open. I mean, I've got a private school that is around the block, a private school that's open, that is literally around the block <laughs> from the public school in my neighborhood, which is closed. It's insane. Um, So, you know, again, this is sort of related, this, you know, vaccine delays and who gets the vaccine and how it relates to schools. These are all things that parents are really concerned about. And I think this whole situation with with schools not just being closed, I think there was a lot of sympathy at first. I think there was even sympathy in the fall. Um, But this, this, unwillingness, this sort of stubbornness about keeping the schools closed. I think it has led a lot of people who never would have considered it before to consider homeschooling and also, you know, private schools. I think for a lot of people, private schools is a little harder because of the price, but it's really uh, made people, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, they have to, they have to consider homeschooling now because their kids are just not learning in a virtual setting. Um, And I think, a lot of these people feel like, you know, whatever it takes to get my kids out of these public schools now. Um, so I think the school closures have, ha- have caused that. But I think there's another issue that has contributed to people wanting to get their kids out of, school, out of public schools. And that is the fact that schools have become so politically active and agitators. The teachers, some teachers are, have become, they see themselves as activists, as agitators. Um, and, and when I say politically active, I don't mean just, you know, you know, they, they're presenting both 
positions, right? No, by and large, public school teachers are pushing a radical leftist agenda. And it's really making, I mean, I have Democrat friends who are nervous about some of the things their kids are coming home saying, um, and things that are, that are presented in school. So, I mean, I think for, for, for some, some teachers, it is very radical. Um, so, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, for instance, the story, and you see the stories, you know, if you're on Twitter, you see these stories. Um, and if, if you're watching the news, there's some reports, at least on Fox news and some of the other, um, you know, conservative r- radio, um, you hear about children as young as kindergartners being fed political messages about gender, race, sexuality, um, and complex issues about sexuality, complex issues, and not, not even widely agreed upon issues of gender and race and again, sexuality and also the environment. They don't just talk about the need to be a good steward of the earth or don't litter or turn your lights off or, you know, there, these are not the messages that I heard in, you know, way back in the eighties. No, these are, you know, things like doom and gloom and we have about 12 more minutes to live. And then the, then the earth is going to explode. I mean, it's some really scary language being used on kids. And we see this and, you know, there've been reports about the, you know, the higher rates of anxiety about among kids. You have young people who've, who've declared, I'm not having kids because my, I don't want to raise children in a fiery doomscape, you know? So this does really affect young people and it affects kids. And increasingly kids are being told, you know, sort of on the history aspect of the, the American history and learning about American history, kids are increasingly being told to be ashamed of their country, that America is a deeply racist country, that all inequities among the races are entirely because of systemic racism, that white supremacy reigns. And this is, I think, the most dangerous thing that you hear um, kids are being told, look, this system is designed against you. This system is designed to harm you, to harm people of color, to harm women, to harm immigrants. It will never get better. I mean, what kind of message is that to children? What what does that, that is, that is a terrible message to send to a child, especially in a country uh, where, where there are so many wonderful stories. There are so many great stories about people overcoming adversity and, and really making a great life for themselves. So it's, it's, it's very disappointing that so often the good stories and look, I am not someone who says, okay, we should, you know, we should, uh, we should teach kids that life is wonderful. Like, you know, leave it to beaver and, and, you know, these wonderful fifties television shows that were all super, uh, saccharine and, 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 and avoid anything that bad that ever happened in American history. No, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying to present America as this horrible place. And also it's important to say uniquely horrible, not just uh, you know, America's bad, but America's the worst place in the world is, is, uh, is very, I think, very dangerous message. So here to talk to me about the current state of education and how parents can fight back and take back some of the control for their children's education is Rachel Jurley. Hi, Rachel. Hey, Julie. So good to talk to you again. It's great. Now, listen, I'm going to give you, I always read everyone's official bio because um, I think it's important to really give the listeners, uh, uh, you know, some information about them. But yours is, I love yours. Um, So let me just really quickly, uh, Rachel, by day, Rachel is a full-time management consultant. And by night, she's, this is, I love this. She is a short order cook, uh, a taxi driver, 
and a homeschool teacher for her son. Yay, homeschool. Uh, along with her good friend, Allison Pillinger Choi and Britt Reiner, she launched an awesome new website called Primarily a Resource for Parents Seeking to Raise Children with a Knowledge of Civics, American History, and an Appreciation for Our Country's Founding Values. I almost cried. I literally like read that last line, and I was like, oh, an appreciation for our country's founding. It's like, it's wonderful. So welcome, Rachel. I'm glad you're with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I wish the other girls could be here, but we're just so appreciative for all the good work that you do with IWF also. You're a beacon in the darkness. (laughs) You're so nice. Um, So let's just jump in. I became familiar with Primarily when Naomi Schaefer-Riley, who was also a a guest on my podcast um, a couple months ago, she told me about you guys and she said, Julie, you've got to check this out. It's amazing. I think you'll really enjoy it. And, And she had known about IWF's own sort of venturing into this area of helping parents directly. And so she knew that I would love it. And I'm telling you, I can still remember when I looked at your website, I thought, holy cow, someone is finally doing it. It's giving parents these resources they need. So I was jumping up and down. And I, of course, sent it to everybody, all the women at IWF. And I know your your website is currently being used and very popular among us. So thank you so much for that. But tell me why, what, what, well, first of all, before you, what is primarily, I want it to hear it from you and um, tell me a little bit why, a, a little bit why uh, you and Allison and Britt decided to launch the site. Of course. So as you mentioned, primarily is a parenting resource and right now it exists online. We just launched a podcast yesterday. Actually. Yay currently only a read-along of some of our articles, but busy moms were asking, and a social media community. But we are just hoping to support parents with ideas that instill those sounding values that you love, Um, respect, dignity, character, duty, empathy, heritage. We want to make civics fun and patriotism cool and civility about old school kindness, not political correctness. And we realized If we didn't get involved and simply allowed mainstream media, culture, and the existing public education system to raise our kids, we were raising woke children. And as intentional parents, that wasn't what we were intending. Yeah, yeah. So we recognized there was an opportunity for this. That's so great. And it's interesting that you say, you know, if we didn't do it ourselves, we're, you know, because truly no one else was doing it. Um, You said, you know, we are raising woke children. And I want to talk a little bit about that because there's this interesting phenomenon that I've noticed. So my, my kids are a little bit older. My oldest is 13 and I have a a 10 year old and then I have one in the middle. And so, you know, I have noticed with some of the moms in my older group, um, they are all of a sudden very concerned because they're, children are coming home parroting stuff that they they don't they're they say to me I don't know where she gets this stuff I don't I don't understand where she gets this stuff and I'm like well I'm glad you've finally woken up because she's getting it at school and so you know it's funny how there's been this sort of delay but I will say I think it's gotten worse in the last couple years I I feel like absolutely has yeah talk to me about that you're so right Well, the schoolroom, the entertainment, media, and technology industries, all sectors of the American economy, in addition to our government, have adopted this cancel culture mentality. We're spiraling. The one place where a kid can share ideas and ask questions about what's going on in the public sphere without fear of retribution is at home. Cancel culture doesn't serve children. In true practice, we can't cancel behaviors we don't like. Children cannot say to us, I don't like to brush my teeth, it's canceled. We can't say to them, (laughs) this tantrum is canceled. And if we could, we haven't addressed the behavior for next time. 
So it's an easy out. And that's why your series about how to talk to kids about these things is so valuable. And we are trying to build on that for even younger, um, more of like the preschool and early elementary ages to do activities and books and games that, that echo those messages. So we're playing offense. So they know how we feel about life in the womb before it comes up in school or before right. one of their friends says something that she heard from a parent who maybe has different ideological beliefs than we do. Yeah, that is so great. And, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about the sort of demographics that you're reaching and and who IWF is reaching with our how-to. And for listeners who who aren't aware, I think I've mentioned this, but for any new listeners, IWF has launched this How to Talk to Kids series. We've done one on the Electoral College, which is a very complicated issue, and it's really helpful to have that guide. I just completed one on environmental issues. Um, we've done one on women's right to vote, um, and there th we just launched it in the fall of 2020, um, so there'll be a lot more coming up. But And you all, my goodness, primarily has so many, um, so many great. I, I just looked through the website. I mean, Keeping Civility and Civil Rights, Carrying on MLK's Legacy, Native American Heritage Day used to be called Thanksgiving. But how do you talk to your kids about the name change, right? I love this one. Trick-or-treating teaches taxation. That is brilliant. Um, you touched oh, on Amy. God, you we love a mom tax. Anytime <laughs> a kid comes home with a treat, it's like, sorry, 25% out of that cupcake for mom. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, you also touch on, on on current issues, Amy Coney Barrett, the 1619 Project. I mean, you have such a, a, such a great library and catalog of, of, of issues. But I will say this, so and I, I put this up on the piece that I submitted to primarily what do you do when your child's teacher preaches politics. I talked a little bit about my background and I you know I think this is this is definitely true of, of you ladies is that I feel because of my background in policy, I felt I've always felt prepared to talk to my kids about things. You know, my son just the other day said, hey, mom, why why do you think, why is raising the minimum wage bad? And now I, I was able to mm. explain it to him very easily. But, you know, I have friends that aren't in the policy sector. I have one friend who's an event planner, and she has talked to me how she feels unprepared to talk about certain political issues with her child, even though she is conservative, but she has trouble sometimes explaining her positions. And so these guides are so helpful to people who might not have sort of the talking points at the ready. Um, and, and yours in particular, I think are done. You mentioned a younger, de a, a younger demographic starting young is the way to do it. If you really want to get control of this and let's say you can't, you, you work and you can't do homeschool or you can't afford private school, like a Catholic private school, um, or, or any, you know, a Methodist Catholic school, or <laughs> I just said a Methodist Catholic school, or a, you know, whatever, you know, whatever, a, a, a parochial right. school or, or a private school, a religious private school, you know, doing stuff at home, talking to your kids at home is the way to do it. Absolutely. And I actually love the article that Ali Choi wrote on this topic on our website. And she says that the first thing you should do when the kids bring up those issues is ask them questions right back. Yeah. So she had a first grader who came home from school and had just done a week-long segment on Greta Thunberg, the 16-year-old climate change activist. Yes. They had not covered George Washington yet. So the order of operations felt a little off there. And we're total believers in what Lincoln said, that the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation is the philosophy of government in the next. So if we're taking our dinner tables back and turning them into classrooms, 
then any time a kid comes back and says, mom, Julie told me at school that her mom's not voting for Donald Trump. Like, oh, did Julie say why her mom said that? Do you care what Julie thinks? Do you, who would you vote for? By asking questions, you can figure out where a lot of the direction is coming. Worst case scenario, it's the teacher. Best case scenario, it's the friends. And you are in control of your child's schedule. You affect the play dates. You can ask them to be moved in class. But better yet, you can prepare them to say back to Julie, Julie, I recognize we're too young to vote, but here's how I feel and here's how my family feels. And they can be a leader in that situation instead of someone who has to react to something that they didn't know about beforehand. What do you what do you tell parents, um, Rachel, what do you tell parents whose teacher is just determined to bring up politics in the classroom or broaches subjects that are just inappropriate? Um, what do you, what do you tell parents? What should they do? The sage on the stage, we call that. Um, it's more common than you'd realize. But the first thing that I would do, whether or not I think that my, my child's teacher is in that camp, is ask for a copy of the curriculum. Yeah. Know what your child is going to be learning and when. And when you see that a section is coming up on something that might be able to be swayed to a more progressive point of view, make sure your child knows all about it mm-hmm. and your position on it before they go to school that week. The best thing you can do is be first. That's- Play offense instead of defense. That's really smart. And these guides, the guides that you are producing are really helpful for parents because, you know, I find them very sort of also very friendly in terms of their, their, their pleasure to read. Um, and, and, and that's, that's what parents need is just a little bit of information to prepare their children. I mean, it's hard to prepare your children if you don't understand the issue. So that's why these resources are so important. You know, one thing I would also tell parents just to add on to that. I have, I know, I know my, I know listeners will be shocked to hear that I have, uh, I've been sort of aggressive in talking to teachers when I disagree with something, I will go straight Mm -hmm. to them and say, I disagree with you. I have, I've had sit down meetings with teachers and I've said, this is really not appropriate. And this is the thing I'll tell you, it, it, it really has worked for me because when I think teachers think parents just don't want to be controversial or don't want to confront them. And, um, and, and also some teachers may not realize, okay, this, this is, this is not an appropriate topic, but I think if you actually do that, I think people would be surprised that there is willingness on the part of some teachers to maybe back off of, off of it a little or, um, or, you know, totally. or, uh, Absolutely. Or, or change things. I, I, I had a teacher, um, announce in a classroom, uh, you know, that, uh, that all, um, pesticides are toxic and that they, um, hurt the earth. Well, I'm, I'm grew up in farm country and I, I, uh, I know that's not true. And my, my son, I know this isn't like the most controversial thing, but my son came home <laughs> and it was part of this whole environmental curriculum that was going on. And I, uh, I went, I talked to, I went in and I talked to her and I said that this, I don't think this is the appropriate thing to say, you know, you know, pe- when pe- pesticides are used properly, they're, they are not, to- you know, toxic or they don't, you know, automatically hurt the earth. And, um, the, the greatest thing is that the teacher let my son get up and, and talk about it and, you know, so- say my mom writes on this issue and, and they're not all bad. And it was a great learning experience for both the kids in the classroom. And the teacher was very kind, um, to, to sort of give him that opportunity and to, to change her position or to change her learning, her teaching strategy on that. So I do think I that, love that. I, I do think that sometimes 
actually, you know, being, and I don't mean confrontational. I was very polite mm-hmm. when I talked to her, but you Absolutely. know. Absolutely. And I think it's all about that relationship. There was an article that we published during back to school that had some recommended verbiage to send a note to your child's teacher on the first day. Yeah. And I think we enclosed Starbucks gift cards in ours too, and just said, Smart. it is so nice to meet you. We are so thrilled to have so-and-so in your class this year, we look forward to partnering with you to raise our children. Because a lot of the times teachers feel the burden that they are solely in charge of education. Yeah. And we wanted to make it clear up front that we are taking full charge of our child, what's put into you know his mind. And we recognize that that's a partnership we have with the teacher. So you establish that relationship so that the door is open to go back when those situations arise. You know, one thing, Rachel, I want to say I so appreciate about what you've put together here is also the importance of being kind. You ha- you had that list that you, um, I have it on your website too. It's at the very beginning where you talk about, you know, your mission and what you're trying to instill in children. And, you know, words like courage and forgiveness, charity, duty, compassion. Compassion is such a good one to teach in children. Faith and perseverance and friendship and diligence. I also love self-discipline and moderation, um, humility. These are wonderful. Gratitude, tolerance, patience, awareness. Those are just wonderful concepts um, for raising children to, to really remember about teaching children. But this is the other thing is you really are on teacher's side. Because if you as a parent teach your children those things, teaching becomes easier. And a Absolutely. child a child who has respect and gratitude, who approaches issues with humility, mm-hmm. is aware of his surroundings, is patient with his teacher, you know, and and demonstrates moderation and self-discipline. This makes child these these this this makes a good child, a child that's easy to teach. And so if anything, I see these as I see you as a wonderful resource, not just for parents, but also um, teachers should be promoting this. Please teach these things to you, to your child. Be a partner with me and, and, and help me. Teach teachers. We use this, right? Wouldn't yeah. that be amazing? It would be. It would be. Tell me and how, think what you think. One of, Go ahead. One of the things that um, I would be remiss not to say is that it also doesn't just fall if you're homeschooling and you have a ton of time. Like you mentioned, I'm, I have a full-time job. I'm not a full-time right. mom, unfortunately, but these aren't like sit-down lessons. It's right. things like on your kid's birthday, hand them two envelopes every year, one with a new privilege and one with a new responsibility to teach them that with age comes more responsibility, but also potentially more freedoms. Or in your routine, just say the Pledge of Allegiance before you head to school each day on holidays, not just Christmas, but look up Look up all the holidays in your town and in our country and expand the things you celebrate more than Memorial Day and Veterans Day. Celebrate the the day your town was incorporated, Election Day, the anniversary of the moon landing, the defense of the Alamo, anything you can find in that American almanac. You're serving dessert anyway. Put a candle on the cookie and say it's an American celebration. Not everything has to be a patriotic cupcake, but there's a lot more um, in that vein on our website of ideas that, that aren't a heavy lift. Yeah, that you can just incorporate into things that you're already doing. So great. Um, talk to me a little bit. I want to shift just a teeny bit because you are a homeschooler and I'm a brand new homeschooler. I don't know how old your son is. And, I, and if you want to say that on here, but I'm sort of new to it with my 13 year old. And I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about your own journey to homeschooling and maybe also a little bit on 
how you think the shutdowns have changed people's impression of education in general and uh, in general and 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 schooling for their kids i know that's a lot to unpack but just in general i'm interested in your thoughts absolutely well i'm not i'll confess i'm not a full homeschooler so my son goes to he's only two and a half so Aww. he goes to a play school from nine to noon each day and then after nap in the evenings is what we call mom time. And during mom time, you know, we, we learn about money, but we learn about all the icons on the currency. And this one has Thomas Jefferson and this one is Abraham Lincoln and their stories. And we read children's books and it's such great fun. And I have so much respect for people that homeschool full time, but because of my job, it's not, a, not an option for me right now. Yeah. But school, to your point, I think when it went remote in March or April yes, last March. year, mm-hmm. parents started hearing what the teachers were saying, and, <laughs> and they were either horrified <laughs> or completely absent. And yeah. when children started parent, parroting that a little bit at home, you had a hint that that was happening, but until you saw it on the screen, it's just a different story. And I mean, as you know, America's more divided than ever. There's so many movements meant to identify, meant to divide us into identity-based groups, and that yes. is true of school as well. Um, I mean, the very fact that impeachment proceedings are still happening shows this lack of willingness for people to move forward and unite. Right. So why do we expect that to happen in the classroom, too? Yeah. Yes. Remember, yeah. agree yeah. to disagree, the phrase from when we were younger? Yeah. That's completely gone. How and quaint. teach children right remember (sighs) unless we teach them what tolerance is that's going to just disappear completely right right and 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 tolerance and tolerance of thought um, of different thoughts I mean that is always left out of the equation when you're talking to uh, someone on the left it just that if you have a, a, a varying opinion on thing or a different thought on an issue you know I mean I'm I've never seen an, a word used so much as Nazi today. It, it has no meaning anymore. Um, there are so many words that have no meaning anymore. But I think Wait, you're right. I I actually, right. yeah, so I bad. actually had a, I did a podcast with um, a colleague at IWF. And I had all three of my children in public school. And it was so, it and my my youngest two were still in elementary school, which wasn't as bad. But my oldest had gone into um, middle school. And that's when it really started to get bad. And both the indoctrination and actually just the quality of education. I mean, and the politics saturated everything. I remember in literature class, he is, it's, it's language arts. And the project was, you know, talking about things like um, how... Uh, uh, gender is just a social construct. I mean, this is in language arts. They should be learning grammar. They should be, you know, uh, mapping sentences. They should be, uh, you know, learning, ca- you know, the the rules of language, of the English language. And instead, you know, they were reading these totally woke passages. And I, you know, I said, and, and the, even the literature they were being asked to read was this modern, woke, uh, you know, kids lit, which was just awful. Um, so, you know, that to me at that point, I was, we were done and we ended up pulling two of our kids out of the public school because our second child was then going to be going into that middle school. And my Mm. youngest is still in the public school now, but next year he'll probably, um, go to the parochial school with my middle son who we put, but I am fully homeschooling my oldest. And I cannot tell you 
the difference, first of all, he's gone through one year's curriculum because he loves it so much and he's going through it so quickly. And I told this story in the last podcast that, um, my son has had an IEP and so he had certain accommodations at school and, um, one of the teachers, because he has a t- it's an ADHD because of his attention issues, he had found writing very difficult because his his mind races and then sometimes the mechanics of writing he just can't keep up. So writing has always been difficult for him, and because he had difficult writing, they convinced me at a young age just give up. He'll never be a good good writer, and he should just use mm. ma- um, voice to computer tech technology. And um, no. I, they couldn't they. They literally mm-hmm. pounded that into me, and eventually I gave in. So after two months of homeschooling him, him, and he started out with terrible penmanship because, again, he just was never told to write. They had given up on him. He His penmanship is beautiful, beautiful. And because of the curriculum that we use, which does a lot of copy work and memorization, his grammar is beautiful. He writes beautiful sentences with perfect penmanship. I just tell that story to everyone that I can because in two months of homeschooling, and I'm also part-time homeschooling because he does have a tutor come in on on two days a week. And we'll talk offline because it can be done because I work full-time too. But it, it, you know, it can, it can be done if you want to pursue it, but um, yeah. with, with a little bit of help. But I will tell you that story, that story I tell is so, to me, it's like, this is the possibilities um, to, to give your child a, a really excellent education are possible. And it's most likely not through the public schools. So, and I don't, I hate to make generalizations like that, but at least here in, in the DC area, in the Washington DC area, it certainly wasn't. So. And I love it, that you shared that story, Julie, because I do think that America has become such a back porch society where we just look at our own kids and yeah. parents in our own bubble And we long for those days when mothers and grandmothers would sit on the front porch and keep an eye on the neighborhood children. And that's what you and what we are trying to do in digital community is just share what we are learning, encourage each other, say, don't believe everything that you're told by the quote educator, take charge of your family and take charge of your children's education. Well, listen, Thank Rachel, you. I, I, I honestly think just the world of you and this project, and I'm so encouraged by it. I think you've really tapped into a, a need. I mean, if we're looking at this from a business perspective, you know, if you're trying to look, what is, well, you know, what is an, uh, you know, what is a need that has not, you know, been fulfilled yet? This is it. This is it. And I think with the shutdowns, I think with people leaving the public schools out of frustration for a variety of reasons, they're going to look for these kinds of resources. And at IWF, we're going to do whatever we can to keep promoting what you're doing. I know personally, I've sent this out, sent your website out to roughly a thousand people. So <laughs> I really, uh, I really want to compliment you and thank you as a mother for providing this great content. Well, thank you so much for doing all that you've done. We really believe that if you can change a generation, you can change the world. And we only have control on one generation. So we appreciate you spreading the word. <laughs> well, one last thing before we go. Can you just give um, listeners just sort of the quick um, info on where to reach you and, and the Primarily website and um, anything else, any new projects coming up or anything you want to promote? Absolutely. So you can find us primarily as a portmanteau of Primer and Merrily, like the New England Primer of Education and Merrily down the stream. So it's spelled differently than it sounds. 
to solve that, we've bought parentingapatriot.com, which will redirect you to primarily. So if you have ideas around how you're raising your children with these values, share them with us, become a contributor. If you have children, follow us. If you're a godparent or grandparent, the more the merrier. And if you believe in our mission, definitely reach out and encourage us because it does fill our hearts to hear that there are so many families from California to Kentucky in the same boat as us. And, and we, you know, raising children is not a task, it's a mission. And when you're on a mission, you need a team. So we are grateful to be on your team and to have you on ours. <laughs> Thanks so much, Julie. Thanks, Rachel. And I, I, again, be in touch with us. If there's any updates or anything you want to share, you have a welcome home here on the Bespoke Parenting Hour podcast. And we'd love to continue to to promote and update our listeners on on all that you do. So thanks again. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone, for being here for another episode of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. If you enjoyed this episode or like the podcast in general, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. This helps ensure that the podcast reaches as many listeners as possible. If you haven't subscribed to the Bespoke Parenting Hour on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, please do so so you won't miss an episode. Don't forget to share this episode and let your friends know that they can get Bespoke episodes on their favorite podcast app. From all of us here at the Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.